Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. Me and Ari are both in hotel rooms. It must be, it's almost football season. It must mean stuff is happening because I am, uh, I'm in lovely Atlanta for the SEC Media Days. Ari, where are you? I am in San Antonio for the Texas High School Coaching Association Convention Summit. They call it coaching camp or something or coaching class. This is where Nick Saban last year said Bryce Young had like a zillion dollars worth of NIL deals, right? This is that's correct. And um, I came as <laughs> Which a I'm sure wasn't a recruiting tool. It, yeah, it wasn't a recruiting tool at all. But I came down here just because I know that there, a bunch of uh, college coaches would be down here. Obviously, 15,000 coaches pre-registered for this thing. It's it's a pretty good event for networking. And I think I might have talked to 150 college coaches in one day. Um, and big ups to Sam Conn, our tech expert, who knows literally every single person on the face of the earth. So uh, it was a it was a definitely a good day spent on my Sunday, and you know really got to to network with some people, hear their thoughts, you know, talk about NIL, talk about the playoff, recruiting, all that stuff. It, w- it was a really, really good day. So there are only going to be 14 coaches where I am, but they're all kind of a big deal. Uh, on Monday, you got Brian Kelly, Lane Kiffin, and Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, Brian Kelly's debut at SEC Media Days is, is the kind of the headliner. But it, I'm sure you're getting a little more uh, – a little more – casual conversation there it's not it's not as scripted not as rehearsed there there's not the big room so what well, Jimbo what Fisher the- is here so we we warmed him up a little bit for what's about to to meet for him in Atlanta so hopefully uh you know his first media session uh, from what I understand since the Nick Saban debacle uh went pretty smoothly I, I find him to be a very entertaining person he is very interesting. He talks very fast. Now he has talked to to the media. We we talked to him about a week after all that happened in Destin. And That's right. He was uh, he was on his best behavior. Uh, the, I think Greg Sankey just read them all the riot act. So they were all, you know, doing what they were supposed to be doing. But uh, yeah, I, I think Jimbo's an interesting case. And I, I want to talk to you about the SEC this year because we, we've been talking a ton about realignment. And look, if something happens, we'll break in. We'll do an emergency show. All that, but. We don't really need to hit on anything now because we've, we've. I feel like we've covered every potential angle that could come up. So let's talk some actual football. And and I think Jimbo Fisher's team is a good place to start. He doesn't go here in Atlanta till Thursday, but that roster. You and I talked about it on Friday. It's starting to creep up to the top of the blue chip ratio rankings. It's it's in terms of the talent. On the roster, it's one of the most talented rosters in the country. But it feels to me like the big mystery for Texas A&M is: will they ever get the quarterback right? Yeah, and then I guess kind of the the whole point of that is: is what quarterback are they going to pick? And it seems that they've got two options here, and they also have a five star freshman on the roster. And I know I, I drive some people crazy who listen to this podcast, Ralph Russo, uh, when I say <laughs> go when I go. Uh, too early to the freshman, and maybe that won't be the case. And I think because the freshman might not be ready, or it might be dumb to start the freshman right out of the gate, that I feel like most AM fans view the 2023 season as the real window of being great. Um, I don't know if the expectation is to make the playoff this year. Um, I think the expectation is to continue to stack the roster and hopefully, you know, get back to back classes like the one that they signed last year and then move on to Connor Wegman uh, a year from now and then be primed to be in a very good position to compete. All right, in the if SEC. Max Johnson or Haynes King is awesome, Connor Wegman won't be starting next year either. 
Yeah, I know. That's true. Um, and if he's awesome, then they found their quarterback. I, I just yeah. don't know if is the expectation for any of them to be awesome. That's the question. See, I I thought Max Johnson showed some flashes, but he was always in such a bad situation at LSU because they're in the middle of firing the coach when he got his first start. Now, I might be colored by his first start of his career, which was the the infamous shoe throw game in Gainesville. I thought he was outstanding in that game, and they were so shorthanded playing as a team that was supposed to be much better than them, and he leads them to a win, which I, I thought was was a a good indication of what might be to come. Now that the problem for him was the turmoil just never seemed to end at LSU while he was there. He, he they, they, they come back the you know, halfway through the season Ed Orgeron gets fired. So it felt like he never really got a chance to, to show us what he could be. And, you know, I, I think it depends on what, what they do this season. I, they need somebody who can really stretch the defense on the outside. Now, maybe that's Evan Stewart, the, the five-star freshman. They've got the Swiss army knives and Anaya Smith and, and Devon a chain. But yeah, you know, I just feel like they need to figure out a way to take the top off a of defense because I, th- I think they're going to be able to run the ball and I think they're going to be able to create bigger plays out of short throws with those two guys. But I th- this team beat Alabama last year, Ari, and lost to Arkansas and Mississippi State. Like, if they could put it all together, you're talking not about a team that can just contend for a division title. It's a team that can contend for a national title. Of course, yeah, I guess if you can win the SEC West, you can win a national title. Yeah, and I guess like the idea is that people expect uh, Texas A and M to win a national championship or to at least make the playoff in the next few years. But the the real question with them is what's the reasonable timeline for that? Because obviously they they beat Alabama a year ago, but you know teams beat better teams in college football all the time, and I don't know if that's an indication that they are ready to take. Uh, a jump a year later into you know being in that echelon of talent. So the good news for A and M is that they do have some young skill position players. From what I understand, Evan Stewart is is very very good and you know could be somebody who 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 breaks into the mix early on in his career. Um, but the best news I think if you're A and M is that their defensive line is nasty. You know they yeah. have a lot of really really good players and a lot of very young freshmen who it's, it's you know, pretty even if, good as is and if yes. any of these freshmen turn out to be good and ready to play right away then it's then it's it's a really good situation and competing in the SEC I mean I think that the most entertaining thing to talk about on the podcast is who the quarterback's going to be and whether or not they can throw the football but the the real name of the game in the SEC is do you have a stud defensive line and I yeah. think that Texas A and M without question does I um, mean and even if some of these freshmen only play twenty snaps a game. If half of the seven or eight top 100 players that they that they signed last year are even contributors who are fresh and come off the field and can you know provide a spark for five to 15, 20 snaps a game and you rotate those guys, that's a pretty hard defensive line to contend with for any team in college football. So, you know, I, I think that everybody's waiting for the the Texas A&M offensive light to go off. Um, and I don't know that I'm there expecting it to happen as, as soon as this year, but I do think that if they continue to recruit the way they recruited last year, um, these defensive linemen that they signed last year grow up and become the studs that we think they're going to be. You know, Connor Wegman or one of the two quarterbacks that are battling right now for the job, um, you know, turns into a monster offensively. Evan Stewart's a hit, then that you have a national championship roster. I just don't know that their their roster right now is national championship for 2022. Well, and and. Part of the problem is this is on paper going into a season looking like one of Nick Saban's best Alabama teams. And obviously that is saying something. But that I is think a, they also have the biggest talent advantage of 
anybody in college football in recent memory. Um, off the top of my head, if you just go by Bud's, um, you know, blue chip ratio, I think they've got like a 9% advantage on Ohio State even on blue chip players, which is which is massive. So, you know, and, and what happens when Nick Saban's teams are really good? You know, Nick Saban gets the most out of them. And I think that that's the one thing, too. It's like Jimbo Fisher said at the conference today that only five active coaches have national championships, but it's just like how much – uh, faith do you have in Jimbo Fisher, the coach, to not only put the roster together, but to get the team clicking on all cylinders? So not only um, do they beat Alabama, but they don't lose bullcrap games in the middle of the year that cost them a chance of going to the national championship. So, like to me, like that's a whole puzzle, and it's just like if anybody is equipped to do that, I mean, it's Nick Saban who does it every yeah. single year. Well, and, and if you go back in Jimbo Fisher's past, I know, I know there's a, a group of people uh, which. It's funny because Florida State fans were not these people at first, and now it feels like some of them are these people. But they, they say that it, all Jimbo's success is due to Jameis Winston. It's not true. I mean, if you look at those Florida State teams, the talent level on that 2013 team was off the charts. It was yeah. crazy how many guys they had drafted over the next couple of years. So that this feels like that buildup. And you know what? I'm thinking back to that 2012 Florida State team. And 2011, they had the off- the young offensive line. I think they started a 16-year-old uh, Bobby Hart in the in the bowl game. But like that 2012 team, I believe they lost at NC State on a Thursday night, and they lost to a Florida team that was good that that had won that wound up winning 11 games that year, but probably shouldn't have been able to beat them in Tallahassee. And so it it is sort of in Jimbo's Jimbo Fisher's history that until the stars align completely. You can get God in some of those games. That's the funniest thing about the, about what Nick Saban has done to the game, Andy, because in order to win a national championship, all the stars have to align. But because Alabama makes the playoff every year and wins a national championship every other year, we forget how freaking hard it is to do it. You yeah. know, and it's just like if you miss the playoff in the SEC, but you win 10 or 11 games. To me, that's the equivalent of making the playoff in every other conference in college football. So, like, it's not like his teams have just been complete and utter disasters or disappointments when it comes to the to the idea of performing. I mean, he thinks they were the second best team in college football two years ago. And, you know, I know I got some trouble with A&M fans uh, with my opinions of who should have made the, the playoff that year. But all COVID COVID uh, discussions aside, A&M at least is in the discussion, right? Oh, that was They're a probably, very good team. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's not like he hasn't assembled that. But in order to beat Alabama and to come out of that side of the SEC with an SEC championship and not only win the SEC or or be the team that loses in the SEC championship and still gets a bid, you also have to win two games against really, really good teams. And it's just like because Alabama's made it so easy, we forget that like Texas A&M isn't a joke. They just are having a hard time doing what everybody else is a hard time doing, which is winning a national championship and making the playoff. Yeah. Yeah. Nick Saban has made it look too easy. And I think I think everybody needs to realize it's not as easy for anybody else as it has been for him. And I'm very uh, curious now that we're talking about the SEC, what this means for Georgia, like because we Georgia got over the hump last year. They were mm-hmm. uh, overtime pass away from winning a national championship and they're recruiting like crazy, crazy people right now. And there's no question in the world that Georgia is the second best program in the college football right now. 
but I'm very curious to see what sustaining it looks like. Because when I covered Ohio State and they won the national championship, that was a program that had everything coming back. They were recruiting at a high level, and nobody in the program, whether it be coaches or the players, uh, had what it take to sustain that. And like sustaining that's really hard in that conference. So like what Alabama has done, it's like there's this expectation that Georgia's all of a sudden going to, you know, they they got over the hump. They won the national championship last year. And that's like now all of a sudden, every single time they line up to play football, they're gonna, they're never going to lose again. And they're going to be like Alabama. And it's like being Alabama is like impossible. Like in, in Georgia, we say is the best job in college football. They're like, I don't even know if that's even even doing well, half of what they've done is, is, is a rational expectation. Here's what makes that part interesting. The person who is in charge of sustaining it at Georgia learned from Nick Saban. Yeah, so no, I know. He'll be but trying I, I to learned, do it uh, in exactly the same way Nick Saban does it. And I mean, it seems like he's doing everything that, that Saban did. Now, how you know when you go get a haircut, like a really good haircut, and the person who gives you a haircut um, does your hair at the end where they put the, the the product in for you and everything and it looks perfect mm-hmm. and they yeah. teach you exactly how to comb your hair and like it's like okay this is like the best hair I've ever had in my life as you walk out of the barber and then three nights later when you're ready to go out um, you do it the same way and you just cannot make it look the way that the barber made it look it's like that Ari, to me Ari, Ari my wife cuts my hair has been doing it for, for four years well because I have the same haircut I had in high school Look at this. Look at that right there. Yeah. That's that's a hard that's a hard lion to tame. And I don't know if that's and I don't know if that's a bad example, but it's just like learning from somebody is really, really valuable. And I'm not discounting it. If anybody could if anybody could match what Nick Saban has done or come or go or even match half of what he's done, like the obvious pick in college football is Kirby Smart. I'm not doubting that. But Nick Saban doubting, does have much better hair than Kirby Smart. Nick Saban is a very handsome man, especially for his age. Yeah, brilliant hair. He's done a very good job of maintaining his uh, his looks. Um, But Dan Lanning learned from Kirby Smart. Like people learn from people all the time. You know, it's just a matter of executing that and like executing it in Georgia. Ironically enough, in my opinion, is easier than executing it at Alabama. And I'm not necessarily sure (laughs) that if he he can even do half of what Saban's done. Yeah. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. We need to appreciate just how unusual this this era of college football has been. And it's funny, Ari, because we were talking about that blue chip ratio the other day. How much of it is if just if Nick Saban retires at some point down the line, that everything just goes back to the way it was before that? Um... Are we like Nick Saban retiring away for from the lopsided nature of the top half of the sport going away? Like well, when I you're in a, it, it, it could be coincidence that it came when Nick Saban got to Alabama, or it could be because Nick Saban is doing what he's doing at Alabama. I don't, yeah. I don't know the answer to that. Well, I spent the entire day talking to coaches, like from eight a.m. till eight p.m., and we talked about all sorts of stuff, and we talked about the talent distribution because a lot of personnel people were here. And some people think that the playoff is the solution to the problem. I mean, I listened to Jimbo Fisher talk for for five minutes, two times today about how a 12 or a 16 team playoff uh, makes college football a much better sport because that means 30 teams have a chance to make it at the end of the year, which makes the regular season better. It's more interesting. Yeah. And, and he also thinks that as a result of that, more people will go to schools because, you know, going to the playoff is the number one the number one seller when it comes to, to recruiting. And the man 
just signed the best class of all time. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I know more than him about recruiting, but like I would push back on the idea that making the playoff is the number one thing. Um, you know, so like some people think that some people think that the sport is just completely, um, you know, slog jammed at the top because the NFL numbers are so drastically in the favor of the Alabamas and Georgias of the world. Um, so like, I don't know like what your take on it is, but it's just, a, it's a crazy world out there, man. Yeah, it is. a. I just I do think some of it is Nick Saban's dominance. I think it has made things lopsided because, like you said, Alabama wins the national title basically every other year. And I, I just don't. But Nick think, Saban's dominance isn't the reason why all five teams in the top five of the recruiting rankings are doing what they're doing. But I don't think it'll be distributed like that because he somehow makes his teams more consistent than than anybody else does. Like his. Well, one of his many superpowers is getting 18 to 22 year olds to perform in the most consistent manner. It's an age group that does not typically perform in a consistent manner. So perhaps he's just better at that than anybody else, including these guys at these other good programs who are really good at it. Just not as good as him. You know, it's really, really hard. And you use these words earlier on in the show and I want to use them again, but the stars to align I think Nick Saban's superpower is getting the stars to align every year. <laughs> I mean, if you look if you look at all of the best teams in college football that have won a national championship in the last 10 years and you take the Alabama teams out of it, I mean, how many teams had to have the stars align perfectly and how many teams in that area have done it more than twice? Yeah. You know, Clemson did it twice. Ohio State did it once. Georgia's done it once. And it's like a really, really hard thing to do, you know, and – you want to talk about stars aligning. Georgia's stars aligned big time last year. Their schedule um, allowed them to suffer a loss in the SEC championship game and still get in. Um, and, you know, that I think, I think as their- long as there's an East and a West in the SEC, their schedule will probably afford yeah. them that. I think I think once the SEC goes to a different kind of schedule, Georgia's going to have to be that good. Now, Alabama's probably going to have to be that much better, too, because they're going to see Georgia in the regular season and they're going to see – you know, they're going to see Florida. They're going to see Texas. They're going to see Oklahoma. So it but what is are your expectations to- for Georgia's program? Like te- let, let's fast forward 10 years down the line, Andy, and in, in your mind, what does Georgia have to do to reach success in the next 10 years? So if Nick Saban retires at some point in that stretch, I would, I expect Georgia to become the best program in college football consistently. But until Kirby Smart proves he can do this over and over again, I'm not convinced that Georgia will win like Alabama has won. Like I, I think that would be the opportunity for Texas A&M or LSU or Ohio State or Oklahoma or, or Penn State or, or Michigan State or Michigan or whoever it is, USC, whoever it is, to jump in and, and win every once in a while. I don't know that it's possible for another person to just go ahead and do what Nick Saban was doing because Nick Saban's done. Georgia wins one national championship in the next 10 years, and Nick Saban may or may not retire, but the answer is they've only they've only won one, one more in 10 years. Success or not success? Probably not as successful as they could have been, but given that it took them 42 years to win the last one, I think they'd probably be okay with that. I think they'd probably be pretty happy with it. Yeah. I mean, I guess like one national title a decade is used to be the norm. You know, that used to be the the hope for most teams. Well, and, and, and take it from somebody who went to a school where people got real spoiled real fast. So 
Florida doesn't win the SEC until, you know, from the, they start playing in 1906. They don't win it till 1984. That one gets taken away. They don't start winning it again until the 90s, and they start winning it consistently. And all of a sudden, winning the SEC is like breathing. And then they win the national title, and then there's two more national titles in fairly rapid succession. And suddenly, you forget that the program basically floundered for 70 years. Like, it's yeah. not it's not easy. And I think people get used to these brief you know, periods of success, and then they can't handle when things get back to normal. Actually, I have a great five-star question about that. Are, are you ready for, for this one? I, I, I picked up some five-star questions because uh, there were some SEC-based ones and we, you know, SEC Media Days coming up. And so I wanted you to get your take on these. And here, here's one of them. And this one is it's from Matt Lane. What should South Carolina fans' realistic expectations be as far as ceiling for the football program? And if Shane Bieber gets into that ceiling, do you think he would stay or move on to something better? So I would argue that Steve Spurrier got South Carolina to its ceiling. Three consecutive 11-win seasons, five consecutive wins against Clemson. I, I don't know that you can expect much more at South Carolina. And I say this as someone who grew up a South Carolina fan who attended South Carolina's first bowl win, which was in the 90s, after they'd been playing football for over a hundred years. So the ceiling I think was reached fairly recently. And I remember being at one of those Steve Spurrier, you know, talk to the the fans speeches. I, I, I want to say I, I did two nights in a row because I was, I was doing a kind of a check-in on the program and he, he talked to people in Greenwood one night and it was Conway the other night. So two different sides of the state. And at both places, I remember talking to the fans and and this is at the at this point they've beaten Clemson five times in a row, and they are starting to consider it a birthright that they should beat Clemson. And I'm like, guys, you've never beaten Clemson consistently in any of your lifetimes. Why would you think this will last forever? But they did, and so it, it's a prime example of this. So I'm glad Matt asked this question because I do feel like South Carolina fans have have gotten back to normal in terms of their expectations, but well the ceiling that you just outlined was not the Clemson that exists today. Not the Clemson that exists today, not the Georgia that exists today. So I feel like that ceiling might not be reachable. But I, well, I, okay, you're the one who says that, that, that Clemson may eventually fall off. Yeah, no, I this know. This ain't the year. 11 but wins it, it, it in a row happen. in the SEC, or 11, what would you say, 11 wins three years in a row? They did, yeah, they did that. That happened. And beat Clemson I still can't five believe times that happened, in a row. but it happened. This when is, I say, let me let me be abundantly clear about my Clemson thing. Even if Clemson falls off, I don't think they're going to turn into a pumpkin. No, like I still think be fall, good. falling <laughs> off still means like a top twelve program. They're yeah. still going to be a good football team. Um, I just mean that they're not going to be the type of team that is equipped to make the playoff every year, no matter what. And that's mm -hmm. the that's a high bar. And just because you don't reach that bar doesn't mean that you're a shitty program now. So, like, the fact of the matter is, is that Clemson could be immeasurably better than the, the Clemson version of the uh, that they were when South Carolina went on that run. Um, but they still might not be like somewhere in between there. And it's still going to be hard to beat them five times in a row. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think like one 10 win season every five or six years is their ceiling. And, and the craziest part of that South Carolina run. So they did win the East under Spurrier. It wasn't any of those years that they won 11. They won the East in 2010 and then ended up losing to 
to Auburn in the SEC championship game. Who were the best players on the team when they won 11 win- when they had those 11 wins? Jadavian Clowney, Stephon Where's he Gilmore, from? Alshon Jeffrey. South where are they Carolina. from? All from South Carolina. Yeah, and where do all those players go if they're 2022 prospects? They go to Clemson. Or Alabama. Yeah. So, like, to me, it's just like the golden era that everybody always uses for South Carolina football, back to stars aligning. I think the stars aligned perfectly for them during that era. And I and I actually love their head coach. I think he's a great, uh, you know, personality, and you know, uh, you know, comes from a lineage obviously that knows how to coach and win games at a high level. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. I just think that the job is inherently harder than it used to be. Yeah, you know, I, and I think Kirby Smart being at Georgia makes it harder too because with Mark Richt, you could count on a down year every once in a while. I'm not sure they're gonna have any down years under Kirby. Like the down year under Kirby Smart may mean they only win ten games. Do you remember Jadavion Clowney's recruitment at all? I do. I remember remember Nick Saban being a little perturbed with him and uh, not feeling like he got afforded the respect he deserved. Uh, you know, Dabo tried to get him, but but couldn't. And I, I was in uh, I was in Rock Hill for the announcement, actually. Yeah, yeah. I just I like to sometimes think of like high profile recruitments that you know. Um, I talked to a coach today, and he said he had a he did a dissertation for his masters. Is that what a dissertation is? Uh, well, you do a thesis for your master's a thesis the, or something. And, and a it was one of those for a PhD. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what it was. It was a smart person paper. Um, <laughs> and he said he did it in 1999 and he knew based on the, the, the poll numbers or whatever, they polled a bunch of recruits, like that, what the number one, uh, reason for going to a, a college was like in 1999 proximity and to the, home, proximity to home is the answer. That's right. And it's just like now I'm thinking about that and just laughing. Like if you could run back all of these like hometown heroes that stayed home and went to programs like South Carolina and such, like I don't even know that that person, they might put him in the top five as a courteous, but or courtesy, but I don't know if Jadavion Clowney even sniffs South Carolina right now. Well, he probably, but he might have gone to Clemson because that's even closer to home, which is even worse than going or, anywhere well, else. About the same distance. Yeah. Yeah, for South Carolina, it's worse. You're, you're yeah. exactly right. So, so it, it, but I, I think so. If if Shane Beamer can get South Carolina to its ceiling, now, okay, let me ask you this, Ari. But what's if your Shane, ceiling for them? My ceiling for them would be consistently winning about nine games a year with the occasional double digit win season. But what I'm going to ask you is the second part of the question. That puts him in that if that happened, that would put yes, Shane Beamer in Mark Sto- in Mark Stoops territory. No, he'd be you, he'd leave. You you'd leave. No, I think South Carolina fans uh, would. You just said they got spoiled once. Well, you don't they'd think they get spoiled more, again? Is what you're saying, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't think they'd be like, "Holy crap, we won ten games. Our coach is a god. Let's hope he does it again one time in the next seven years." I think they'd be like, "We won ten games in the next year. If they lost, if they won seven, they'd be like, what the hell's going on here?'" When did and South like, Carolina fans turn into Tennessee fans? Good Lord. No, I mean, like, I, and I would too. I mean, that's the whole point of what we talk about, building incrementally. And I and I actually thought about this, and I was talking to Sonny Dykes today, and I, and I said to him, you know, what is what is a realistic time frame for building a college football program? Um, because, you know, he said that that, and then his response was that obviously the, the time frame of those things changes based on how good of a start you get off to. Because if you have a really fast start um, as a coach and you win more games than you're supposed to in the early onset parts of, of the, um, 
you know, of your tenure, then obviously your recruiting ramps up earlier on and then you're on a roll. But then my rebuttal was, well, most coaches who are at programs that need to be built who get off to faster starts than they should have end up bolting before they ever can build the place to begin with. So it's like how many how many coaches in college football um, are at a top 25 program that was a top 40 program or a top 50 program when they got there and, and stayed long term? Like, and that's where I'm like, is Dave Aranda going to do that at Baylor? Like, because I, I don't I just don't know. I think like, Dave, well, Dave Aranda is probably a, a, a different case because he's a different kind of guy. And also so, Baylor's won Big 12 championships at multiple points in the last 15 years, despite terrible things happening there. Like Baylor's Baylor's consistently in both sports, both basketball and football has been able to overcome a lot of things to be a consistent, dominant, not dominant, a consistent, but a consistent, very good program, a winner. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like how many coaches have actually stayed, stayed at the place that they, they had success at early to finish the job. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's true because there are only so many destination jobs and South Carolina's probably not one. And Baylor's probably not one, you know, I, I, but I wonder with conference expansion, if George is, do you think that conference expansion could change the idea of destination job? Or it's like, if you, if you are a coach at a program in a super conference and it's like, it might not have been the sexy program, uh, you know, on the front cover of sports illustrated in the last 15 years. But now if you're in the sec or the big 10, you know, you have a, a a higher stake in the world of college football that you might not want to let is, go. This is our our Mark Stoops Jeff Brom question, right? Yeah, I, and and I'm I'm with you. I, I I was thinking about that with Brom the other day because I think their their expectations probably will rise at Purdue with the amount of money they're spending and the amount of money they'll be capable to of, of spending. But I also don't think they'll become unreasonable. So if you're Jeff Brom. You'd be pretty careful about what you do. Let's say that because they could have a really good year this year. And if they, if they beat Penn State, just watch. They'll be the program we're talking about all through September and October. If you're him, you'd have to be really careful because you could be in a great spot where they could continue to just give you raises like they like Kentucky does with Mark Stoops. And you don't have to leave unless it's absolutely perfect. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like leaving for a for a, I guess leaving for a job that isn't in the Big Ten or the SEC right now seems insane. It's like if you're the head coach of Illinois and then um, Washington offers you the job, is that like a job that you automatically jump to get? Well, not not if we don't know where Washington is going to be. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. like maybe South Carolina's profile as a job, like you said, is, is Shane Beamer going to stick around long enough? Well, I think under the current circumstances of the sport, maybe he'll stick around a little bit longer than he would have in other situations. Well, let's go to the other side of the SEC geographically uh, with the other team that entered the league in 1992. Another five-star question. This is Whit from Dallas. Uh, first of all, thanked us for, for talking about the, the Luck podcast series that Zach Kiefer did, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to it yet, it is spectacular. It's on the Athletic Football Show feed. Uh, it's usually Robert Mays talking about the NFL, but it's a six-part series on Andrew Luck. It is really cool, just fascinating. He's one of the most interesting people who has played football in a long time. And I listened to the first episode on the way down to San Antonio and it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I've listened to all six now and and you'll get to the point where it's, it's like a book you can't put down. You'll just keep, keep rolling through. We'll be right back after these words. The next question from wit 
is what do you think Arkansas needs to do to be a contender for the SEC West? Are we one-star quarterback away, or do they need to ramp up recruiting on all accounts? I I, I don't want to sound insensitive answering this question, Ari. How do I you, not you want sound me to insensitive? Do it? You want me to do it? That, that's basically what you're here for is to sound insensitive, I think. And then, and then you can clip me as the person who said it, and then everybody thinks I'm the asshole. No, you know Go what, Andy? It. Why don't you say it? Why don't you be the bad cop? Fine, I'll be the bad cop. Now, the SEC West is probably going away as a division, but I'm not sure that matters. But let's let's assume it, it existed in perpetuity. Alabama's in it, LSU's in it, Texas A&M's in it, Auburn's not doing what they're supposed to be doing right now, but they're also in it. Ole Miss and Mississippi State still care deeply about college football and, and are going to put together really good teams. I just don't know that it's going to happen again as long as Nick Saban's at Alabama. I, I just it, He raises the level so high that I'm not sure an Arkansas, a Mississippi State, an Ole Miss can get there. Now, Hugh Freeze almost got Ole Miss there. Almost. But it might just be that you have to be LSU or A&M or Auburn or, or one of those teams that, that can recruit that way. Uh, Arkansas has got a really good quarterback now in KJ Jefferson. But you, you saw last year when they went to Athens what they looked like against a real national title. And contender. I thought Arkansas was like a really solid team last year. Great, great team. Yeah. You saw them manhandle Texas. You saw them manhandle Texas A&M up front. And yeah. then they go to Athens and, and you saw what happened against Georgia. Like that's who have you have shot. to be able to beat. Yeah. It wasn't that. I don't really remember the game. I like what the final it was like 38 score was. to nothing. It was over like, by the end of the first I, quarter. I feel like Arkansas couldn't even get a first down in that game. I don't think they did until I don't think they crossed midfield until the second half. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that was like a complete demolition. It was a, Yeah. And, you know, how many five-star players are you short of from moving the ball? Now, is Arkansas a playoff contender in a 12-team playoff at some point down the road if Sam Pittman keeps doing what he's doing? I think they could be. Yeah. I think if they expand the playoff to 12, that everybody's going to have their years. Everybody in the SEC, other than maybe Vanderbilt, like I mean, Mississippi State, you, Ole Miss, they've had teams that would would have made a twelve team playoff. You know, what would be a fun game. Thirty seven sure, nothing. By the way, was that Georgia game? You know, yeah, I remember. I bet on Arkansas. I remember vividly. Do, uh, do we? Uh, if we went back in time, and you know, I guess maybe to the beginning of the playoff era, maybe, or even to two thousand ten, and you expanded every single year. Um, to 12 uh, and you looked at the final 12 of the playoff rankings, how many percentage wise of the power five would have made it at least one year. I bet you it's more than 50%. So that would be over 30 teams. Yeah. That would have made probably right. the, the field of 12. I mean, I'm even thinking like even Arizona would have made it one year. You just, you just talked yourself into a much more interesting sport and you didn't even want this thing. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, for inclusion, sure. You know, now now I feel bad for being anti-inclusion because when I was anti-inclusion, it was when everybody still was included. Like, so does that make sense? Like, right. everybody was right. still now, in the now system. Now that people will be excluded because they're not in one of two conferences, you got to try to force some inclusion. Yeah, and this is how I, how I want to put it. Yeah. 
I'm only for, I'm not for inclusion to get everybody in. Uh, I'm in for inclusion to make sure that everybody is at least in the system. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want I, anybody to be, uh, to I'm me, if you're not, you. I, if you're not good enough to make it, then you're not included. And I don't yeah. feel bad for you. I feel bad for the teams that are removed from the system. Right. Who have no real chance. And now there's, there's teams like that now, but like Cincinnati, they made it last year. The, the Every team in the power five and they right made it. now yeah. can make the college football playoff. If they create a very good football team, Wake Forest could have made the playoff last year and they almost did. And mm-hmm. they are in the system. They are included. Do I want to expand the playoff to get them in on years like last year where they were good, but not good enough? I'm not compelled to do that, but I also don't want to live in a world where Wake Forest during a season like last year that they complete and beat Clemson to win the SEC or ACC to be completely out of the picture. I want everybody to have a chance to get in. I just don't want to give away spots to teams that are in the system, but aren't good enough. Right. And, and I think, I think that's hopefully what they'll do. And we, we've talked about this a few times on the podcast. I don't know. Well, expanding 12 would Wake Forest have made the playoff for in 12 last year. I don't believe they would have. Okay. Because remember, they, they lost a couple. They lost to North Carolina, and then they lost to Clemson, and then they lost to Pitt in the ACC championship game. So I, I don't think they would have made it. Oh, okay. They had three losses last year? I thought they only had two. Nope. No, that North Carolina game was a... Uh, oh, that was the game where they were up by like shootout. 70 and they lost? Yeah. Weren't they up by like 21 points at one point in that game? I... I I can't remember the exact circumstances. I just remember it was a lot yeah. of points. It was not a lot of defense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Wake was number 15 in the final. In the CFP final rankings. playoff pool? Yeah. Who, so they would not. Read off, read off the. I mean, we should do this. Like, I'm, maybe I'll make this my project. I'm sorry. So. That was the AP poll. My bad. So I, I've got to get the, I've got to, I've got to call up the, the, the because final Because a three-loss team poll. wouldn't be, wouldn't be automatically disqualified from the 12th spot. I think that most years that three lost teams will be the 12th best team. Well, like last year. Okay. Yeah. So Wake was number 17 in the final CFP ranking. Oh, that's a lot worse than it. But who was number 12? Pittsburgh. How many losses Which, did they have? They had two. Did all the teams in the top 12 have two or less? Utah had three. Yeah. So I, I, they were the only one with three. Everybody else had two or less. And Pittsburgh was the ACC champ, so if you did the six highest-ranked conference champs, which I don't, th- I don't think that's necessarily going to happen now. It may be four highest-ranked conference champs or something like that because the number of conferences may, may dwindle here. But I, I do think it would have been basically the top 12 would have made it. For, for a Friday show, show when we get together um, this week, I'm going to add it up. And I want you don't add it up and don't even think about it. And I'm going to have you guess on the next show how many teams would have made the playoff in the Power Five in the last seven years. Um, yeah, if there were twelve, because I, I, I like half. that you're taking my old talking points and and using them to convince me of the thing I already thought was a good idea. Yeah, I appreciate I that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like to me, like the idea of removing uh, the the teams that would have made it in that year is completely makes me second guess my thought on inclusion uh, before. Cause like now it's just like, I feel bad, you know, it just would have been fun. That's I don't, a, that's I don't I, feel bad for uh, saying that bad teams can't make it or every, everybody's than, all, all caught up and did, did they deserve it? Stop worrying about who deserved it and worry about if it'd be fun or not. It's well, I mean, just I don't feel bad product. for teams. I just don't feel <laughs> bad for teams. 
that don't I make know. it in years where they're not elite. I don't. You know? I don't feel bad. It's not a matter. But I feel of feeling bad, bad for teams who are getting kicked out of the sport. Maybe. Well, I, and and I'm, I'm. I hate that it took this to bring you around on it, but. But it's it not the just same be thing. More interesting. It, it is really. I mean, you're you're just worried about you know if they're not good. I don't care if they're good enough. Just I know, give but me a Arizona fun product on my television. What year did Arizona make the Fiesta Bowl? Was it like two thousand? I want to say like 2012. They lost to Boise State. Was 12? Was it that long ago? It was a while um, back. Okay. No, because well, it was it was a, in no, the was, playoff era. So it might have been 2014. Era. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was 15 or 16. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. But like, I don't think that Arizona uh, should have made the playoff that year. They were a fun team to watch. They were the epitome of Pac-12 after dark. I'm they made sure the they Fiesta made Bowl. the playoff that year. I think they would have. They were the weren't they? They lost in the Pac-12 championship game, and I think they only lost two games that year, which probably would have put them at number 10 or 11 or 12 when they played in the Fiesta Bowl that year. Um, but it's just like, I don't feel bad that Arizona didn't make the playoff that year. I feel bad that Arizona's like on the brink of extinction. Okay, it was 2014. So okay. I'm, I'm looking up the, the wrong ranking, but now you've got me curious, and I know it's bad pod, but I want to see this. <laughs> now, now I want to see where they were. In, in 2014 in the CFP yeah, rankings. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious too. In the final ones. They were number 10 on yeah, selection told day. told you. Yeah. How about that? Even Arizona would have made the playoff. And why is that bad? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying like now that we're, they're facing extinction from competition. Now I they feel been, like. Who would they have been smoked by in, a, in, a, in an opening round game? So 10, in, in, that, ser- in that scenario, 10 plays seven, right? Yeah, I guess. Oh, they, they played have... Mississippi State. Yeah, Dak that, Prescott yeah. against Richrod. Yeah. Is that was Matt Arizona? Scott? Was that a Matt Scott Arizona quarterback team? No, who was the I, – I, his name's – I mean, he had like – he was a freshman that year, and he was super fast, and they ran all over everyone. Uh, I think and you are like, mixing up your Arizona teams. I am? Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I'm not a big Wildcat fan. You went Believe to the it. school. I'm at least supposed I to, can like, root for them. At least then? I can name I can name Florida's quarterbacks in order. I know who's Arizona's quarterback when they were like hitting every over every week, and he was a freshman, and then he like started Tate. the state. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't fourteen. I don't believe so. No, that was uh, Khalil Tate was like 2017 was his breakout year. Yeah, okay, they were good that year too. Pretty good. Yeah, he, he he was a freshman in 2016, so he was not on the 2014 Arizona team. Yeah, if you put a if you put my life uh, on the table and said who was Arizona's quarterback in fourteen, I couldn't tell you. See, well, I, I just said I, I could name all the Florida quarterbacks, and I'm trying to remember who the quarterback was. Yeah, that may have been Austin Appleby. Or was that? It's 50? so funny. You know, in college, no, no, it was Jeff Driscoll. Like, it was it was Muschamp's last year, so it was Jeff Driscoll. In in two thousand or like when you were in college and you had to like study for an exam. It's like I always. Oh, it was a new Solomon. It was a new Solomon. Yeah. How many, okay, that makes how, sense. I would. How many maybe people I have been screaming? I, I just want to know how many listeners have been screaming at their car stereo or, yeah. or screaming into their phone. A new Solomon for the last I, five minutes. I think minutes. if you actually would have put my life on the table, I might have. He might have been my guess. I think I would have gotten it because it might have been the only quarterback I can remember besides Willie Dewey Dama. Matt um, Scott was 2012. I was. I was way off. I was two years off. But, like, you remember how when you would cram for a test in college, like, I would, like, study for the hour and a half before the exam. 
I would go in there, I would get a 78, and then like the second I walked out, I was like Frank in old school after he got done debating. I'd be like, oh my God. I and just like, blacked everything out. Everything is gone. <laughs> <laughs> like if I had to go back in and take the test again, five minutes after walking out from the exam, I would get a zero. That's how I am sometimes with old college football memories. Well, like you remember Solomon, like the rankings from 2009 off the top of your head and I'm, there's no way. Well, I, 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 I am going to apologize on behalf of the podcast to Anu Solomon because we should have remembered. That, yeah, we should have. That's my bad. That's my bad, I, bigger, yeah. I remember watching that Oregon-Arizona game. I was on a Thursday night. It was the Thursday before Ole Miss played Alabama because I watched it in Oxford upstairs at the bar at City Grocery. And like it was a bunch of us. I think Bruce Feldman was there. I think all the game day guys had gotten into town that night. And so a bunch of them were there. And it was just a scene. And it was one of those where I, I think I had picked Arizona to win the game. And, and Dan Rubenstein, you know, Mr. Duck himself had had just called me out on the Internet that day. How dare you? How dare you pick the Wildcats? Yeah, I was right. I wouldn't want to get on the uh, bad side of Dan Rubenstein because he's the nicest human being. On the he was right. Earth. Well, listen, that was complete dumb luck by me. And I, I will tell you right now, I there there was no scientific reasoning behind my pick other than it's Thursday night and weird stuff happens. Other than you're a wildcat. Are you do you're doing the wildcat symbol? I can't. I've never been able to do like with my fingers. Like, I've never been able because I've got small hands. How similar is that to the TCU? Horn frog deal. I can do it with my right hand. Okay. If you're watching the YouTube video, and if you are, please subscribe, rate, review. <laughs> uh, it, it's Ari is uh, attempting to do that. That so both Arizona schools have a hand signal. This is the ASU one. Yeah, a- ASU's got the fork. But I think you have to put. Don't them put those fingers together because then it's Wichita no, no, State. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, keep also, those fingers the- spread. Fun fact about me, I've got the smallest male hands on the face of the earth. Ari, I don't think we should be advertising this sort of thing on the podcast. Hey, you know what, man? I'm married. It is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) We we know you've hit home, so it's okay. Yes. Well, (laughs) that feels like a good place to end it for today. I mean... Uh, we, we've we've gone a long way from previewing SEC media days to uh, to Ari's hand size and, and what that might mean elsewhere. Yeah. So I think we are good to go. I'm going to get a lifted F-150 when we're done with the podcast. <laughs> like you said, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We've all seen your wife. We've seen your Instagram. You've, you've, you have far surpassed any expectation and you have nothing to be ashamed of, nothing right. to worry about. So here's the deal. I'm at SEC Media Days. We've got a, a, a merry band of 50 covering SEC Media Days for The Athletic. You're going to hear from some of those folks. we, we got Brody Miller covering LSU, uh, Seth Emerson covering Georgia, Aaron Suttles covering Alabama, and then uh, some some friends. We it's, it's like a high school reunion for sports writers at SEC Media Days. So we'll have a lot of folks on the podcast coming through this week. We'll also probably pull some folks aside and, and record some episodes for down the road. And it's going to be fun. We're going to have some good in-person pod, Ari. We we don't get to do this as much anymore since the pandemic, but now it's about to start again. And Ari, I, I just want to put this I have in your a head. Fear of missing out, man. Don't don't though. I'm going to put this in your head. Remember, we've got Ari's week of SEC fun coming up in October. I haven't forgotten about that. I have already planned yeah. your itinerary. Uh, we're going to keep that under wraps for now, but it is going to be 
spectacular. So don't feel bad like you're missing anything here. This is a bunch of sports writers standing around talking to each other. Pretty boring stuff. We're, we're not very interesting people. What I have in store for you, oh yeah, okay. life-changing. You made me feel better. I, can, I cannot wait. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. When next you hear from me, I will probably be somewhere on Radio Row in Atlanta. Talk to you on Tuesday.